Habakkuk, what in the world? Habakkuk wrestled with some very significant events that were happening in the world in his time. He didn't understand some of the injustices, the violence, the things that he saw um, in his nation of Judah and in the world around him. And he, he came, we talked about this in, in chapter 1 last week. You can go back and watch that message. I'm going to try not to re-preach it this morning. But, but just a recap, he went to God in, in Habakkuk chapter 1 and, and said, God, what's up with this? What in the world? What, why are these things happening? Why I cry out violence to you and, and I don't hear an answer. I don't understand. And God answered him with an answer that Habakkuk didn't want to hear. Right? An answer that said, just, just watch Habakkuk till you see what I'm about to do. I'm going to raise up the Babylonian kingdom and they're going to sweep across the land and, and nations, entire nations are going to be crushed. And, and so you can imagine Habakkuk was like, God, that wasn't the answer I was wanting to hear. Right? And it, it threw him even in more of a tailspin. God, what, what's going on? And, and at the end of the passage we read last week, he folded his arms and he said, I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait for your answer, God, and you, you better kind of put a demand on God. You better give me a good answer, right? And again, we, we would say today as we look at the news and we look at the things happening around us that, that we can, I think we can resonate with Habakkuk's questions, right? His his. What in the world? And, and as, we, as we quoted last week, Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole of creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. God is taking all of this somewhere. But we're not there yet. And the whole world is is lurching and struggling and wrestling and calling out what in the world and so <clears throat> uh, let's what we're going to do is we're going to read um, really quickly I'm going to try to read fast and, uh, and we're going to read Habakkuk chapter 2, starting in verse 2. We left off at verse 1 last week. I'm just going to read right through the chapter. It's, it's long, and it's a prophetic book, so... You know, it, we may listen to it and go, what, what is all this that we're reading? But hang in there, okay? I think it's important to read the scriptures, to, let, to, to, to publicly listen and read to what God has said. So, Habakkuk folded his arms, said, God, you better give me a good response. Here was God's response. Verse 2, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faith or by his faithfulness. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. He's talking about Babylon, right? The kingdom of Babylon. Uh, will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, 
Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you for you have shed human blood. You have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for fire and that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and the destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman, or an image that t teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life, or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. That's a few mouthfuls. All right, so our first, our first point today um, that we can take from this, I think, is the plan, sorry, next slide. The plan is written in stone. Uh, in the ancient world, the earliest means of writing was indeed chiseling in stone or, or carving in wood. Uh, and then, eventually, uh, clay tablets, they started to make clay tablets. Um, and then wax tablets. In three, this is all going somewhere, just listen. All right. In 3000 BC, in Egypt, a new technology was developed called papyrus. It was the first kind of paper that was ever made. It was made by a papyrus reeds pressed together. And over the centuries, it was adopted and improved farther and farther away. And by the time of Habakkuk, by the time of Habakkuk, papyrus was the dominant form of writing in the Mediterranean world. It, was, it would have been much easier to send a messenger with a message written on papyrus than something carved in stone or clay, right? Would have made a lot more sense. But God says to Habakkuk to write it on a tablet and make it plain so that the herald can run with it. There were some things that were still in Habakkuk's time carved in stone and carved in clay tablets, but they were things that were meant to last forever, right? Monuments. Kings would have monuments carved talking about their greatness, and they didn't want to write those on papyrus because they wanted their legacy to last forever, right? And God tells Habakkuk, write this prophecy down, put it on a tablet. Because God's promises 
are not something that are as changing as yesterday's news. To be written on a piece of paper and tossed out in the recycling bin. But God's promises and God's declarations, His Word is eternal. The things that He says in His Word are, are meant to last forever. God's promises, when He makes them, He's not bluffing, He's not joking, He's not filibustering. When God makes promises, they are yes and amen, they are true, and they will come to pass. Amen? And so, God says to Habakkuk to, to write this revelation down on a tablet, give it to a herald, and they will run with it. And he says it's to an, await an appointed time. This is a really important concept in Scripture. God's appointed time. Right? Why were the Hebrews 430 years in Egypt? Because their deliverance awaited God's perfect timing. Why was Jesus born when he was? You know, if, if God did that a few thousand years earlier, wouldn't it have, wouldn't it have worked, you know, just gotten the ball rolling faster? But Scripture tells us in Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5, it says, But when the set time, the appointed time, had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God sent Jesus at just the right moment in history. His appointed time. Some of us in this room, some of us watching online this morning, are still sitting on promises that God has given you, and you're wondering why He's taking His good old time. Well, first of all, I think we need to ask if we have any part in the fulfillment of those promises, if God, provide, if God promised to provide you a job and you still haven't written a resume, maybe there's something you need to do, right, to see God's promise fulfilled. Oftentimes God gives us promises with, with some homework for us, Right? But oftentimes it is, it is about God's timetable and the fulfillment of His plan and His purpose. And there are all kinds of things that you don't see and that you don't understand that He's weaving in with the answer to your prayer, the promise that He's given you, right? And way too often from our perspective, God's timetable doesn't sync up with our timetable our plans but God says though it though it delays wait for it because it will come if he promised it he will do it right secondly we see that there is a, a time limit on evil. So we remember from last week, and we talked about it at the beginning again, um, that God said he was going to raise up the Babylonian kingdom to accomplish his will. And Habakkuk wasn't impressed with that. And he challenged God about using an evil nation to punish those more righteous than them. And although God used, he did, he raised up the Babylonian kingdom and used the Babylonians to sweep over the land and, bring, and they brought destruction wherever they went. But he did not tolerate their ongoing violence. The total duration. The Babylonian, the Neo-Babylonian kingdom that we're talking about, it's one of the, one of the most prominent 
empires talked about by historians, and yet this kingdom, this Babylonian kingdom, lasted a whole 87 years from start to finish. 87 years. In the timeline of history, that's a flash in the pan, right? They were, they were succeeded, they were defeated and succeeded by the empire of the Medes and the Persians that lasted much longer and they were much more compassionate empire and were respectful of the cultures of the people they conquered. So, so God had said, God had said in the prophecies that he was going to raise up the Babylonians, that Judah was going to be carried off into exile for 70 years to, to, uh, to discipline them as a nation. And then he raised up the Persians who not only sent, sent Judah back to their nation, back to their country, but they paid the bill for the rebuilding of the temple. Right? God, God reversed everything that happened. He gave them back. He, he, he used Babylon and then Babylon was wiped off the scene and God provided the restoration because God is that good. We tend to measure things in the immediate, but God's, God's plans span millennia. His plans spanned generations and certainly decades. So grandparents, parents, great-grandparents, when your child, grandchild, great-grandchild goes astray and you're praying for them, we should not give up in a week or a month. Because their story is not over and God answers prayer. And we need to be persistent and we need to keep coming before the Lord and trusting that God is working out His, His plan and His timetable in their lives. And so we see throughout chapter 2 that we read God describing the kinds of evil that He observes in Babylon and the, the message over and over is he will not tolerate it for long. He talks about drunkenness. He talks about arrogance and pride. He talks about greed and oppression of nations. He talks about stealing and hoarding other people's and nations' possessions. He talks about violence and shedding human blood. He talks about injustice and how they rule. He talks about sexual immorality. And, and on and on it goes. These and more things he describes as the list of evil that marks the Babylonian kingdom. And for this reason, God makes it clear that the prideful pursuits of the Babylonians to build a great empire on the backs of others will be short-lived. Just because God allows evil for a short time to flourish... We should never believe that God wills it or wants it. We should not believe that it escapes his view or that those things will go without judgment. If not immediately, then there is a reckoning day coming. As we will all stand before God. And no one gets away with anything who has not trusted in Christ as their Savior and giver of grace. Right? God's justice will come. But thank God for the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Amen? Thirdly, God has a plan for glory. So right in the middle of this description of God's judgment coming on Babylon, 
there's this anchor verse right in the middle. Powerful, beautiful verse. God gives Habakkuk this description uh, of, of all the evil that, that Babylon is doing. Um, and yet for all their earthly might and all the power they exert over the, the nations around them, he says they exhaust themselves in the pursuit of world dominance for nothing. In the end, despite all of their, uh, their efforts to the contrary, it says that Yahweh's glory, the glory of the Lord, will be displayed and manifest on the earth for all to see. And everyone will know that the true and who the true and living God is. No matter how bad it seems, God will turn all things around to bring glory to him and honor to his people. The Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon was all about earthly glory. They, uh, they were known for their wealth and their opulence. They crushed all the kingdoms around them and took all their resources and poured them into their capital city. The hanging gardens of Babylon were one of the wonders of the ancient world. And that such an amazing display of earthly glory could be accomplished in such a short time with that kingdom lasting only 87 years. Um, such a display of earthly glory is truly amazing by human standards. But God says that their glory will become their shame. That it's all tainted with blood. And it's actually what they intend for their glory is actually a disgrace. And in the end, Babylon would be wiped off the map in such a short time. And all that would be left behind to show for it are the things that God had done, God had used them to do for His glory. See, God is, God is a redeemer and a restorer. He is a redeemer and a restorer. And is able to turn all things, even evil things, around to serve Him for our good and His glory. That's what, that's what Jesus meant when He said in John 16, 33, that in this world you will have trouble. Thank you, Jesus. Right? In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. It means that though we will experience suffering and pain and difficulty for a season, we are not to lose heart because God is bigger and smarter and more powerful by far than the evil one and everything that he has planned against us for our destruction. God is able to use every plan and scheme of the enemy for our good and our growth. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ today, you have never experienced purposeless suffering. I didn't say you haven't experienced suffering. But you have never experienced purposeless suffering. God didn't plan it for you, but He is using it for you. He is using it in your life to bring about His purpose for you. He will not allow more than you can, than, than, um, then he is able to, to take you through, right? He's using it, he uses it in our lives to discipline us, to grow us, to train us, to test us, to prepare us, to purify us. God is doing all of those things and more in our lives every day. And he's using the circumstances that we walk through. None of it is wasted. 
Unfortunately, the flip side of that is if you are not in Christ. Your suffering may have no purpose or point. Because there's no promise of God that He will work all of those things out for the good of those who don't trust Him and who don't love Him. And so for many in our world, suffering is just the outworking of the fallenness of this world. The sin of people, themselves and others. The schemes and the plans of the evil one who wants to destroy everyone. But because those who reject Christ are still under the dominion of sin and not under the dominion of Jesus, they've not given Jesus permission to lead their life or use their suffering for good. It's just suffering. And it isn't because Jesus is withholding from you, but because you are withholding from Him. And if we make Jesus our King, if we trust Him, if we give our lives to Him, if we let Him be our leader and our Lord, then from that moment forward, we will never need to experience purposeless suffering again. It's one of the amazing things about being a follower of Jesus is that no matter what I walk through in this life, I have the promise that He will use it for my good. He is a redeemer and a restorer. And I want to encourage you today, if you're here, if you're watching online and you don't yet know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, He, he wants you to come home to Him. He wants you to discover His love and His mercy and His grace towards you. He, he, he longs to be able to take the, the, the struggles and the challenges and the things that come into your life and weave them into your life for your good. He, he wants to do that. There are so many reasons to consider giving Him your life today, saying yes to Jesus. And this is definitely one of them. Say, Jesus, come and take the struggles, the challenges, the, the things that come into my life and use them for my good. And lastly this morning, God has the final word. The... Uh, words at the end of the passage this morning. Verse 20. It's like after all of this, all of this, um, all of this chaos God is describing of what's going on in the world and all of the, all of the upheaval and all the the, the injustices and the things that God is, you know, all of this that's happening. And then it comes to this verse and it's just like, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Right? At the end of everything, at the end of all of the upheaval and all the things that we see when we look around us at the world, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let, the, let all the earth be silent before him. The kingdoms of this world, the mighty, the, the superpowers of this world will be silenced before Jesus. The powers of this world will be silenced before Jesus. The schemes of the enemy will be silenced before Jesus. It's all about his glory. God has a plan God has a plan for glory. Right? If you haven't picked it up yet this morning, all of this is going somewhere. All of this. As we look around the world, as we look at what's going on in the Middle East, as we look at 
things that as we look at economies, as we look at all the stuff that we see going on around us, all the chaos and all of it, sometimes it seems so chaotic and purposeless. It just seems like madness. And yet in the midst of all of it, God is taking us somewhere. There is a plan. We don't always see it. We don't always recognize it. But there is a plan. God is taking us somewhere. Where is that somewhere? That the whole earth, that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We are going towards the moment when God's glory comes to earth. Jesus returns. He takes his rightful place. And the glory of God is known on the earth. And every injustice is done away with. Every wrong is righted. That our hope becomes reality. That the longing of the people of God becomes real. It's all going somewhere, folks. As we look around us at the world that is shaking and convulsing and seems like it's coming apart, we can know that God is working all things towards His glory. We don't need to fear. We don't need to panic. Evil will have its moments. It will have its day, but it will not triumph. And like the Babylonian Empire, one of the greatest empires in human history that lasted for a measly one human lifespan and then was gone. God will only tolerate evil for as long as it serves a purpose in his ultimate plan of goodness for humanity. God knows what he's doing. I think Habakkuk, who had his arms crossed at the beginning of this answer from God, found himself silenced in God's presence. The earth that the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Ask those who are serving communion to prepare to do so. Jesus said, as I already mentioned, that in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, be encouraged, be. Don't lose heart. For I have overcome the world. How how did Jesus overcome the world? So, the Habakkuk scripture says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. And that day will come. But that day is not the beginning of the coming of the glory of God. The beginning of the coming of the glory of God was in a manger in Bethlehem. 
God entered this world in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived and grew up. He died on that cross for you and I, conquering the power of sin in his death. Entered into death like a Trojan horse to defeat death from the inside out when he rose again from the dead. When Jesus conquered sin and death, the world was overcome. Evil was overcome. So today we celebrate the fact that our hope, the hope of our world, the hope that God is in control, He's leading, He's guiding, He's taking us somewhere. All of it hinges on the cross of Jesus. Amen? And what He did for us. What He did for humanity. We pray today that not only all in the hearing of, of my voice today would, would come to know that that grace and that mercy and that freedom that comes from knowing Jesus. But in the midst of the chaos of our world, that, that God would move powerfully, that many would come to know him as Savior and Lord. Because peace doesn't just come from laying down weapons, but it comes from knowing our Savior. In a moment, the servers will bring around um, elements on the trays. In, they're in two cups, one inside the other. I encourage you to take both cups. The bottom one has a little wafer in it. The top one has some juice in it. Just take those and hold on to them, and we'll take them together. Um, if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, you are welcome to join us at the table. If you don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, maybe you're, maybe you're not ready for that. Maybe you're here today saying, I'm still, I'm still, still investigating, still not sure. I want to let you know today, you're, you're welcome here. You're welcome with your questions. You're welcome with, you're welcome with your, your faith journey and your faith uh, working that out. And uh, you don't need to feel pressured to take the elements. If you're not ready, let the, let the tray pass by. But in the same breath, let me say, there's no better day, to, no better day than today to say yes to Jesus. And invite him to be Lord and Savior of your life. Say yes to Jesus. So as the team leads us in worship, let's receive the elements. Thy strength indeed is small, child of weakness, watch and pray, find in me thy all Jesus faded all, all to him I owe. Sin hath left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find. Thy power and thine alone can change the leper's heart and melt the heart of stone. 
Colossians says, Colossians 1 verse 21 says, actually let's start in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. think on Jesus and all that he has done for us this morning. It's awesome to know that he he went to the cross on our behalf. He went to the cross for us. By his blood shed on the cross, one reconciliation to the Father for us. that now for those of us who trust in him he presents us holy in the sight of God without blemish and free from accusation that's not what I did that's not what you did that's not we didn't we didn't make ourselves holy and free from free from accusation what Jesus did in us, isn't it? And so we're thankful today for his body that hung on the cross, bearing our sin. And his blood shed for us. Yesterday was Remembrance Day. certainly spend time looking back and being thankful for those who gave their lives for our freedom, 
protection of the values that we uphold. Jesus said it was important as well, ultimately more important, of course, that we remember what he did for us on the cross. I don't know about you, but there's a reason why there's a remembrance day because I don't, I don't every day think of the soldiers that laid down their lives for me. I presume upon that a lot in my life. And it's moments like that when we are reminded, oh yeah, great price was paid so that I could live in the freedom that I live in. And it's the same with the cross, isn't it? Sometimes we can become numb to the fact of what Jesus did so that we could have freedom. So Jesus, took bread and after he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me and so Jesus we are so thankful for your body that hung on the cross that bore our sin and that when you died on that cross my sin died with you and its power was broken over my life. So let's take the emblem of Jesus' broken body. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. So we give thanks. The new covenant. Not based on what I can do, but based on what he has done. Jesus, thank you that your blood was shed for me. That by your blood shed on the cross, I have been reconciled to the Father. I have been redeemed out of sin and captivity. I've been given a new lease on life, grace and mercy and goodness. Your love has been poured out, and we give you thanks for that today. Thank you for the freedom we have in Jesus. Let's take the emblem of his shed blood. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt, who raised this life up from the dead. Let's stand. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt, who raised this life up from the dead. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you.
thank you for coming to Evangel today. And we would just like to extend an invitation to anyone that needs healing. Maybe you need special prayer. Maybe you're in that dark place today that you just feel oppressed by the enemy and you need to be set free. We open the altars to you and members of the breakthrough team will pray for you and pray you through the victory. Amen. We also will also remind you that it is Soup Sunday following the service. And also like to remind you that next uh, Saturday at 9 o'clock, there will be the vision breakfast for two hours. We invite you all to come for that. Let's just ask the Lord's blessing now upon the food that we're about to receive. Father, we thank you for meeting with us here today. We thank you for your presence. And we ask you now, Lord, as we part to uh, have fellowship and good food, eat good food together, we just pray that you would bless the food and you would bless our fellowship. And we thank you for another Sunday that we can serve you in Jesus' name. Amen. to him.